Hello there, folks. You're listening to Riffs and Scripts. I'm Cole Bryant. And I'm Amber Savon. I'm just really happy to be back. <laughs> so am I. Um, we're going to be releasing these, like, kind of in a normal Age. stretch. But yeah. we've not actually got to sit and record with each other for ages. And it's ruining my life. I, I need Same. to see your wonderful face, uh, even if it's over Discord or whatever realize- system. I just introduced myself as if I'm a guest. I was like, I'm so happy to be back on, on the podcast that was my whole idea. I'm oh, so yes. pleased that I'm back. Exactly that. Exactly that. Well, Amber, um, so I hear you've been getting up to a lot of things recently. Uh, tell our viewers here at my show. Um, <laughs> no. Okay. Actually, we have got some interesting you. stuff. You've actually had a... Gen- Please don't slap me because that's not social distancy. And... <laughs> And I'm trying to maintain that. So um, you've actually really had some interesting stuff going on um, recently that I have seen because I follow all your social media like a creepy stalker, like a stan, which is, I think, what the K-pop people call it, a stan, a stalker I'm not going to lie to you. You do seem to, this year at least, have the kind of medal for first react to most things that I put online. <laughs> it's just you're my friend and I just my dad happy is about furious. your success. Your dad is furious. That he's I'm the first reactor of your of he's your just, things. He's a very supportive parent. Aww. I think I've said this before. Like when I did, I was when I was with this theatre company straight out of uni, and we were doing all of our shows off our own back, making not even make losing money. Frankly, um, whenever we put something online, a promotion, a poster, a video, whatever yeah. it was, the tickets. My dad was the first person yeah. to react, and my dad's name is Sav Sava. That's so anytime. <clears throat> right anytime something happened it would be like sav sava likes this sav sava has shared this to the point where we made him a t-shirt saying sav sava our number one fan Aww. he's just very sweet and supportive to that's be super fair. sweet that's super sweet um but yes yeah, it's been a good year so yeah. um yeah. oh basically yeah. it it actually starts the story starts before lockdown when it was january and i was thinking to myself you know what can i do next what have i not thought of yet and i and i looked into um like a careers coach not necessarily an acting coach a careers coach and i found this person and i thought let me let me do my research first and she had a book so i read her book during lockdown and it was fab and then i booked a one-on-one session with her which wasn't cheap and she openly admits that and she was she, she even said you know um I've got group Q and A's and workshops if which are cheaper if that would work for you and I just said to her I was like look I have been to so many Q and A's and workshops and group things and I have written down so much generic advice that I I would like personal advice now. So I booked a session with her. And one of the reasons I booked it for the day that I did was that I'd found a new agency. So I was putting off a session with her. And then I found this agency I really wanted to apply for. So booked her beforehand. So this agency are called Bazan Talent Agency. Spoiler alert, they signed me. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Oh my God, you guys. Bruce Willis is Uh, dead at the end of Sixth Sense. That's also a Scrubs reference. Well done. Is it? Um, yeah, there's a there's a whole episode of Scrubs about spoilers, oh, and no. they give the the big spoiler in it is someone saying the ending of six. Anyway, it's it's, uh, it's horrible. It's yeah. I mean, Darth Vader's Luke's father. So, oh, Cole, man, I'm really sorry. God, 
Imagine, anyway, imagine uh, walking up to the cinema and hearing that. Anyway, please continue your story. I'm sorry for my interruption. <laughs> my cultural um, references. So, so I had found this agency. I'd found Bazan Talent Agency just by keeping like your ears and eyes open in general. And on Facebook groups and on, on social media, I saw actors being really positive about them, which to me is the best review I can see of an yeah, agency. Yeah. It's not their money. It's not their level of success. I'm an actor. So when I see other actors who are happy with their agents, I wake up and I listen a bit. And then I got in touch with one of their actors and just said, hey, do you mind if I ask um, how, how, how it is? And he went, yeah, of course. And I realized this agency had only been open for two years. And that was the only thing that made me go, ooh, that's a baby for a new company. So I messaged this actor and I, who's got incredible experience. And I said, if you don't mind my asking, did you get all of this experience through this quite new agency or was it beforehand? And if it was beforehand, what made you join them? And he said, first of all, to be fair, I've known the woman who runs it for longer than that. So I was like, okay, cool, fair point. But he was like, but she really did help me create my whole career and I owe her so much and I love her to pieces kind of thing. And I was like, right, decision made. So I had a meeting with this careers coach. She gave me feedback on my headshots, on my showreel, on my online CV, all things we can do a full episode about if we want to. Because like I said, I've been to endless Q&As on these kinds of topics. But she gave me some personal feedback um, about castings, all sorts of things. I took loads of notes. I made a few adjustments to my CV and my online presence. And then I applied to the agency. She even helped me. I was like, you know, how do I apply to an agency during a lockdown? So we had that conversation as well. And the agency picked you up straight away, which is pretty awesome. And uh, you said they put you forward for something. Did you? You sent a self-tape, didn't you? I sent the self-tape. I got a recall. We did the recall online. And then I got that email saying, look, you're great. Please keep in touch. But we have gone with someone else. Yeah. Ah, that's, but that's the way part of the things, isn't it? the way exactly so much isn't even uh, about um anything about your ability or what you're capable of simply not quite the person they want or sometimes not just you know not even the face they want um i mean that's much more true with film than with theater is how you look but also with theater it's it's a basic maths thing like i have seen things i've been on that side of the table where you just you physically do not have a part for everyone no. when you've got when you want to have five actors for this sketch comedy show and 500 actors apply even if you get to the final round which i did the final round is still around you still can't all get the part so it's just the way of it really so what happens so what happens would have been bloody great though can you imagine if i'd have booked Ooh. a gig Six weeks after getting a new agent, I'd have felt so smug about it. Would have been cool. But yeah, um, that's where that's where I'm at at the moment. How are you? I'm all right. I, I, there was one something that, that did make me laugh um, in my head. I didn't laugh out loud because that would interrupt you and that would ruin your your kind of uh, creative flow. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to do that to you because you know I'm a good person like that. <laughs> but um, something there was just uh, reminded me of the nature of. Um, uh, hiring people in that you know you're not just quite the person we want for something and actually that happens to me um a lot of the time but from the other side uh being in a band because i have hired a lot of people um not simply just because you know guitarists uh a dime a dozen but there's pretty much i think eight bassists south of birmingham i think there's only eight i've decided so this episode, Cole is going to be slagging off guitarists. I think guitarists. he did well at 
destroying <laughs> with any drummer. So this time we're going to come for yeah, the, guitarist. the guitarists. John, Stop John, applying a, for his band. He's John, a prick. Can we do? We I am a prick. I really am. Um, no, I, I'm really not. Why? I'm, I'm playing up to this now. See, we um we should definitely have a regular segment where musicians that Cole slags off. Okay. When were we going to do a pet peeves thing? And I don't think we ever. We could have a pet peeve segment because let me tell you, there are some typical things that actors, directors, writers do that I could sit and so we could make like a little mini jingle and be like, ah, now it's time for our industry pet peeves. Industry pet peeves. Do you know what? Whatever we just sang there, I'm going to put that in later. (laughs) I can't wait. With like a harmony. It's really difficult to hire people, and when when you're hiring, we we auditioned quite a few bass play bass players when we last were hiring, and uh, the time before last actually. <laughs> it's it's really difficult. Bass players are uh, quite uncommon. Drummers are pretty uncommon as well. So generally, if you're hiring a drummer, they're already in like five bands, but it's very common to find someone who's great at what they're doing and just not right for you. You know. Yeah. I know there's a, a really... whole chemistry yeah. element, isn't there? And there's also like uh, like a genre thing as well. My uh, brother-in-law, I think, I think it's technically outlaw at the moment because they're just fiancés. No, my brother-in-law is uh, an amazing drummer, probably one of the best drummers I've heard. But um, genre-wise, you know, he's very soft-touched with 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 everything, and he's much more into his kind of indie stuff. Is probably the heaviest he'll go. He does a lot of jazz stuff, and he does a lot of um, kind of funky bits and bobs and soul bits and bobs. But he has not got a blooming firm hand, and we need a firm hand. Um, sometimes that was my firm hand. Exactly. Oh, that was pretty firm. Pretty firm. You need to actually. It sounds really weird, but when you're a band leader. Uh, you need to have a firm hand as well. That's actually something we haven't talked about is that being a band leader. Um, generally in band leaders, uh, in bands, the band leader tends to be the singer. Sometimes it's the guitarist. You need to be someone who has a clear objective in mind of what you want to accomplish and uh, have set goals that you want to want to do and what you want to go for. And often with a lot of young people in a room, you know, you don't necessarily have those strong kind of personalities. Um, which means that you need someone to step up to the plate and do it. And, you know, we know of the bands that have big, strong personalities and then they clash all the time. Uh, the Beatles is obviously a huge one for that. You've got uh, Lennon and McCartney who are at each other's throats towards the end, which is very sad. But sometimes you get loads of wonderfully talented musicians who aren't forceful personalities and are just really good at what they do, like George Harrison. Well, my example when you said big personalities that clash, the first thing I thought of was the Gallagher brothers. Of course, yeah. Um, one of them wrote all the songs and the other one stood at the front being a mopey gear. What? Yeah, I said it. <laughs> I, well, I was going to say that as well. Isn't there usually an overlap between the person in charge and the person writing the music? Because it's yeah. their music. Very often. Um, here's a, a, there was a, a whole... Yeah, yeah, you go ahead, you go ahead. Right. There was right. a whole thing. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. It's thanks. Right. Um, right. it, it's, it's my show, but, you know, I'll let you do it this time. I will end you. <laughs> so good to see you. Please you continue know, with right, what you were saying. Listeners, do you know how much this was all my idea? Do you know how much I thought of it and I pitched it to Cole? I was like, and yeah, I was right. like, we would do this so well together. I'll make it happen. Yep. Prick. Yep. Right now, I forgot. Oh, right. Yeah. To do be you know fair, about- I got like crazy <laughs> ill recently. It wasn't No, fun. no, no. I'm just mean the initial idea, which actually started like last Christmas. Yeah. 
That's quite impressive. I'm not going to lie. Right. Anyway, my oh name my is Coleridge Bryant, and actually, I'm here from Glasgow, and I'm reporting with Amber Sava. I know. I can actually do quite a sexy Glaswegian accent, eh? That is quite sexy. I know. That's a bit weird. Right. Oh, yeah. Use that. I <laughs> realised yesterday. <laughs> I realised yesterday that slowly I've gotten quite good at a Welsh accent. Not not brilliant, but between cool. the fact that there was a guy from Cardiff on my drama course at Art said that in my teaching job I taught for like nearly two years twice a week with a Boom. Welsh guy. It's slowly built up, and I was telling my boyfriend a story about one of the parents of the kids that I teach, yeah. um, and how she was there on a day that I was being observed. So I was just say, talking about our conversation and I was like, oh, I don't know if you knew my manager was observing me. And she went, well, you should have sent her into my direction. I would have told her how fabulous <laughs> you are. And I realized I've gotten okay at it. <laughs> One of my favorite stories was uh, my friend who was from Cardiff came to London to come to drama school. And he came up to me knowing I was a Londoner and was like all proud that he got an Oyster card. And I went, oh, cool. Well, did you get a student one? And he looked at me like, no and i was like you can get you can get a discount if you get a student one and he just went i don't understand this city (laughs) (laughs) oh my god do you remember in it would have been early 2000s late 90s late 90s uh the kumars where they had and they had like um um I can't remember his first name. I know his last name was Kumar, but they had loads of loads of actors pretending to be his family, and then he'd bring on a special guest every week, and then they'd all talk talk to his family. But uh, the joke was at one point that apparently the Welsh accent and the Indian accent are incredibly similar. I'm really glad you said that because sometimes when I'm trying to do the Welsh accent, it sounds a bit Indian, and then I think I'm being uh, racist. Am I being and racist? I end up in a loop. No, it's all right because you can be racist to the Welsh, but not against the Indians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fine. Oh no! By the way, I do not think that people at home, people say nasty things about the Welsh. It's true, and I don't oh, like do they? it. Oh no! Don't pick on the Welsh. There's nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with the Welsh. They're perfectly content. In their field, like in their field, you think that all Welsh yeah. people live in a field? Is that what you mean? Yes, that's, that's, exactly, what that's, that's exactly what you mean. It's <laughs> not what I mean. I'm sorry, Wales. Sorry, I just had to exploit you know, that. You're very there. hardworking and as a community, and you're very proud people. Yeah, is the that Welsh some kind of take stereotype a... that you have against the Welsh. They're hard work. No, it's not a stereotype. The Welsh are very proud I of think, their kind of work ethic. I think they had a... Welsh people are allowed to be lazy. Frankly, I think Amber. they're allowed to be too, but they I wouldn't call Welsh themselves Welsh people like... can be whatever they want to be. But you had a lot of mining communities in Wales, didn't you? So yeah. a lot of the kind of working man kind of working. thing in the 80s. That's a good song by uh, by Rush, Working Man. Oh, nice. It's good. It was from their first album um, when they were kind of Led Zeppelin-y, but uh, less kind of probably. Oh. I don't know why I brought that up, but you know, I thought I'd better contribute something to do with music, to do with this conversation. I was going to say that can bring us back on Anyway, so Rush... I think uh, the Tell drummer us. from Rush died um, this year. Really? Might have been last year. Neil Peart, who is uh, well known as probably one of the very, very best drummers of all time. Um, did you not? Did, you've not heard of Neil Peart? I've never seen no. that uh, one thing in Family Guy when yeah. the guy's snorting um, cheese it powder <laughs> and then goes, he's listening to Tom Sawyer by Rush and he goes, There's no fucking drummer in the world better than Neil Peart. Pum, 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 pum. 
Anyway, Neil Peart is really good. Anyway, kids. I think we talked about this on the on on, the, on a previous episode, so I won't take up loads of time on it. But who was it? Was it the the drummer from Ah Fuck? From Ah Fuck, they're a really good band. Um, yeah, I know, they're, right? They're like the kind of not safe for work version of Aha, who did Take on Me. Such a prick. Oh, never mind. There's a drummer who was really good. And in a show, his whole drum kit and his seat started rotating and he was like fucking upside down. Uh, oh, uh, the, and guy drumming. From, the guy from Motley Crue does that. Tommy Lee, I think it is. Is it Motley Crue? I don't think it was Motley Crue. I think it was... I actually um, don't know anything about Motley Crue. Is it, shit, is it, is, 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 is it Nicky Six? Oh no, he's the bass player, isn't he? Who, um, Psychosocial. Band who sang... So- oh, Psychosocial. That, that would be Joe Jordison from Slipknot. Thank you. That's why um, I said, oh fuck. So I though remember. he left... I feel like it was them. Um, was it him got... that broke his leg? And was I actually still a, don't know. I just know he was um, a really good drummer um, was and was really, was really good at double kick stuff. That's yeah. what I know. Yeah. And, and he continued to be after an injury. Like he just worked it out. Like <laughs> Maybe it was his arm and then he got good at double kicks. I can't remember. Charles, I'm sorry. Maybe I should talk about some of the amazing drummers of the world that I know about. Simply because I shat on drummers really hard on on you one of do. our recent episodes. Yeah, um, you did. You were harsh, so, tell you what, can, can I just talk about some awesome drummers? I know, I know quite a yeah, bit about man. drummers. Should we talk about um, one of the big names that always comes up? I think probably the the most often is um, John Bonham from Led yeah. Zeppelin. Um, who hit it hard as balls. There's some interesting things about John Bonham that made him uh, really different to everyone else. One thing, total alcoholic and was like drunk all the time. But that, you know, that is a, a different story entirely. But there's some really interesting stuff in Tony Iommi's uh, biography, Tony Iommi being the guitarist from Black Sabbath. Um, and okay. uh, John Bonham was at his wedding. I think it was his best man at his wedding. And um, he drank everyone under the table. And then everyone got up the next morning completely you know, oh, dead. And John Bonham walks in with his suit, just all, you know, all, all sharp, looking yeah. great. Because he was so used to doing it because he drank all the time. And yeah. um, John Bonham, one of the things that's interesting about him is he's always behind the beat. So there's a whole phenomenon in rock music, um, which really happened as a result of uh, the digitalization of so much music, in that drummers ended up being quantized all the time. So that means uh, to be on the beat exactly on uh like a grid effectively yeah yeah but john bonham is significant in that um he always played behind the beat and he had such amazing feel so if you listen to uh the best one best example of that is probably when the levy breaks which you might know about um don't know it's one of led zeppelin's great songs and it features this amazing boom 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 at the start of the song it's right behind the beat and if you quantize it it sounds completely wrong and fun fact they recorded it at the bottom of a stairwell so that they could get um the uh the ambience of the reverb in this like long echo. tall chamber yeah That's um, so, cool. so the drum sound on that is this drum sound that no one can quite replicate because the space was so unique in this um random british country house with wooden floors that they uh, recorded in so that's awesome so john bonham's amazing hit really hard when he was younger he used to get um a, a, a job in, in in a new band and then they'd kick him out straight away uh after a week because they do one gig with him and they'd get him to play on the house kit at some venue and then he hit so hard he just smashed through the drum skins every single gig which is i've I've never been at a gig where 
uh, Luke or Luke hits really hard and he's never broke a drum skin while I've been on stage. So there we go. There's some information for you about John Bonham. You've um, been doing some writing lately, haven't you? I have been doing a lot of writing lately. Uh, yeah, maybe talk about myself and my actual music How's for a change. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, so the idea with my band was we would take a bit of a hiatus at the end of last year and then we'd start writing an album with the idea to release it in 2021. Unfortunately, that's what everyone has done now because everyone had to take a hiatus at the start of the year and um, wait through the year and ended up just writing loads of songs at home. Or unfortunately, most of us hadn't really seen each other. So I get to see Nath now, but when uh, when it was in the harder days of lockdown, unfortunately, I couldn't see him much. And doing writing over Zoom or whatever kind of uh, webcam um, system you've got just isn't quite the same. There's too much time delay. It means that creatively it's very hard to chuck ideas around uh, mm. in that kind of way so fortunately Nath is now able to come over to mine and um, kind of stay over for a little bit because he's, I, he can be my second bubble type what's it so we do yeah. it like that um, but you're right you know what you just yeah. what you something you just said I picked up on is it is so difficult to be creative remotely. I mean, we can make this work because it is at the end of the day, a conversation, yep. but I, you, this was really funny. I don't know if I told you about this, a friend of mine, who's a fantastic director, mm. the woman who speaks different languages. And she gave me my first producing job. Do you remember her? She was doing like a distanced play in the park kind of thing. Yeah. And I, yeah. it, I couldn't make it work. I live at the other end of London to her mm. and it just, it just wasn't really possible. But I did say, you know, how can I help? How can I get involved? And one of her actors has got a baby. So they were doing rehearsals online. And so they, she said, could you join our online rehearsal and read in? I was like, sure, no problem. The thing is, it was a Shakespeare comedy. And yeah. the thing about Shakespeare comedies is they are intentionally messy. There's always a case of mistaken identity. There are always people that get mixed up. It it can borderline. That's I say point, borderline. Yeah. It can... It can be like straight up slapstick. With a Shakespeare tragedy, you can read it like a book because it's big speeches and you can follow it. Comedies are very complex. You need to see them. You need to see who is who yep. and what's going on. There's so much um, in, in those plays where it turns out, I was actually this man all along or a woman or I was blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Exactly. So I'm trying to online read in for all the other parts in Shakespeare language, by the way, and I was trying to give them all different voices and improv it and keep track of who was who, <laughs> so that this actor could. <laughs> oh, mate! It was it was such a mental exercise. I'll tell you that it I was bet. a challenge and a half. And and for the other actors as well, because they're going to be watching you. Going, hang on, uh, 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 who am I addressing here? Am I addressing you, you, or you? Well, the whole point was for it to help the one actor yeah, that was doing her rehearsals online. Yeah. Well, there we go. But it's good. It's good to be um, finally able to actually meet up, at least with one other person, and actually do some yeah. creative work together. And and the nice thing is, you know, um, the music's been different this time. It's been more mature. And actually, uh, we used to write as part of a big group, and now it's down to me and Nath. This actually goes into the thing I was saying earlier about being um, the kind of band leader. It generally is, you know, one person or two people. Sometimes that means uh, when you've got two big creative, like, kind of uh, forces in the room, uh, again, like Lennon and McCartney, as I said before, um, you end up 
bashing heads unless you've got the kind of relationship where you know how to do a bit of give and take and a bit of compromise and a bit of you know uh understanding the other person's strengths ronnie james dio a brilliant singer who many of our listeners will have heard of um always said that you know he preferred to write music uh, as part of a band rather than on his own uh, because then you're using the very best of everyone in a room, you know, using the best bits from the drummer, the best bits from the guitarist. And um, on their, their on Dio's first album, on uh, on Holy Diver, which was like a huge, huge album, he I only actually that. wrote two songs um, on his own before is that the one that goes um, holy devil that's exactly that song um, i think he wrote oh, me. gotta get away <laughs> get away between the velvet lies okay okay that i love dio okay oh, sorry i was a bit excited then a bit, a bit excited a bit excited but i think sorry. he wrote uh only two songs off that album on his own don't talk to strangers was one of them uh, which is a brilliant song, by the way. But you've got to use the best of other people. And so me and Nath have managed to work on so much together that we've got this really great working relationship. So we know how to, we know each other's strengths and we know each other's weaknesses. And um, I'm really good at kind of putting things together like a puzzle and kind of working things out in terms of structure. And often he'll bring me like a really raw idea and I'll be like, hang on if you change this note over to this note, or if you do this, 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 and this, then we can do this, and then I can do this, and then it can lead on into this. I'm, I'm quite good at that bit. Um, and he's really good at riffs, and I love riffs, and so many guitarists can't do great riffs. And so um, a lot. Of, the problem is with a lot of guitar-based bands is that you end up with people only doing great riffs, which means they don't actually write any songs mm. because they just write, right. here's my great riff Intros. that I did. Yeah. Yeah, you end I know up the type. with um, a lot of intros and a lot of outros and a lot of solos and no actual music <laughs> as to, to like, you know, mm. uh, I've I would so say many bands when I go, man, I love this tune. This is a really good tune. I really like this tune. You know, there's not that many. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. An acting equivalent would probably be devising. And that's not to say that if you're working with a script, it's completely rigid um but if you do devising work there is just so much more freedom with what you do so with medusa it was devised and there's obviously the bit the famous part of medusa is at right at the end uh perseus chops her head off right and we were there going and this was at the end of the show and we're all going how can we do this bit how can we do this bit and this one actor now lovely girl i post about her sometimes she's great she went oh i can do this and she did this slow motion backbend but she she did it in such a controlled beautiful way you forget mm. that she's not actually moving in slow motion yeah. and she was able to control arching her entire body over until her head hit the floor behind her and then slowly and in a controlled way make herself land on the floor and it was so atmospheric and beautiful literally every other actor in the room went yeah i can't top that let's do that one boosh (laughs) let's do it that way like that that was not planned no one could have planned that the other awesome one was um to actually do the snakes Oh, no, I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. But one of the actors is amazing at, is it Shibari? Shiwari? It's, um, it's, a, it's literally a bondage technique, but, I'm, but I don't mean oh, that. Oh, the, the knots. The knots, yeah. I just yeah. revealed quite a lot about my search history then, but continue. 
Oh, do you actually know what I'm talking about? I do know what that is. It's the it's the knots where people are, do loads of little ropes and stuff. I yeah, mean, it's not my bag. I'm just saying I've not done that, but I know what it is. I think it's no, Shibaru or so, Shibari or something. Yeah, exactly. And it was so cool. And she teaches it. So <laughs> she's teaching us. She's teaching us how to basically tie her up in a way that is safe and cool and looks aesthetic yeah like yeah. we couldn't do it for our show but her workshops includes like suspending people in different sh- it's beautiful nice. but yeah it is also like a tiny bit kinky but the way that we used it wasn't in that kinky way we used it in a course, create yeah. images out of ropes way Pretty it was just cool having this atmosphere of people going oh here's a here's a skill i can offer yeah. i can i can do this i can play this instrument i can speak this language and we ended up creating such a beautiful piece that if you got a different list of actors, mm. the piece would have been a completely different show. Yeah, you know, creatively, you've got you've got to allow that meeting of minds because you you will find that someone just has some weird skill um, or is able to apply some weird bit of thinking that you would just never have thought of. Um, For sure, and uh, that happens with drummers a lot because drummers are a different kind of breed of musician because they're not really playing a melodic instrument. Sometimes, though they can often, you know, you get a lot of people... You do tune drums and you do have people who um, kind of... Uh, Neil Pert did a lot a kind of keyboard thing that he used to do that on, but you're not playing necessarily a melodic instrument so much as a percussive instrument, which means that uh, you just don't think in the same way as a guitarist will think. Um, mm. And so they can do things rhythmically that you just wouldn't think of. A lot of guitarists find um, that uh, when they're first writing songs, they think that to make something sound fast or heavy or awesome and big, what you need is to be playing something really um, aggressive on the guitar and you need to be playing it in a certain way. And though that is obviously true, uh, it's always the drums that make something heavy. It's really not the what the totally guitarist agree. is doing if you take the guitars if if you take the drums out the guitarists do not sound anything like as good as they do um when in the frame of reference of other things and bass as well that's why um justice for all was a sad album for metallica fans they'll all know what i'm talking about there Fair. jason on. jason newstead uh came in after cliff burton and recorded Justice uh, for All, which was a really great album uh musically uh had uh, one do you know one by metallica Oh, it's so good. That's a brilliant song. Really, really good song. Uh, so much texture. But basically, Jason Newstead, the new guy, Cliff Burton had just died. And so they get this new guy who's this brilliant bass player, Jason, and they just turned him down and down and down in the studio. And by the end, they just scooped the guitars. So there's loads of bass and loads of treble on the guitars. So Yeah. Um, and then took the bass almost completely out. So oh. there isn't actually any bass on that record. And there's a really funny... Because it's called And Justice For All, which is a quote from... Um, uh, what's it? The Declaration of Independence or something. And uh, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, Pledge, Pledge of Allegiance. That's the badger. That's the badger. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I don't know why I know that, but I <laughs> do. A, I don't know. <laughs> do you just get up every morning and recite the Pledge of Allegiance? Is that Fuck what you do? no. Fuck no. <laughs> Um, but there's a really good version of that album out there yeah. called And Justice for Jason and someone's oh. recorded bass and, and, and mixed it along and it sounds amazing. Cute story yeah. from when I was a teenager. Um, I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street with my then boyfriend and it inc- and obviously Nightmare on Elm Street is about Freddy Krueger who gets you yeah. in your sleep. So it had someone like kneeling by their bed. It's obviously an 80s film saying yeah. if I die before I wake 
pray the Lord my soul to take. Yeah. And my my boyfriend at the time was like, oh my God, is that where they got the lyric from? Yes. And I laughed Obviously. in his face. I was like, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural Christian prayer. It's a, it's not, they didn't get it directly from this film. They it's, didn't... it's a thing. It exists. <laughs> Weirdly, um, here's, here's a fun fact. Megadeth released, uh, wrote a song at the same time that that song was written. And you might know, do you yeah. know much about the Megadeth Metallica, um, conflict? I so don't Dave know. Mustaine, who founded Megadeth, used to play, um, for, for Metallica. He founded it after he was kicked out of Metallica after the first album, maybe the first two albums. I genuinely can't remember. But um, there's a lot of riffs from that first couple of albums that were Dave Mustaine riffs and ended up getting used in Megadeth songs. And weirdly, years later after that, he released a song with... And if I should die before I wake, he released the same thing, and it, they they wrote it at the same time ish, within like a few weeks of each other. But the uh, and, Justice, and Justice for All got released first. But Megadeth and uh, Metallica have always had this this huge rivalry. Well, I I can't speak for definite, but I think I can safely say that Enter Sandman won that one. Yes, I think. Sorry so. about it. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a joke um, that. Uh, you know, in Thrash, you've got the big four, which is Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. But really, mm. you have the big one and then the other three. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone's heard some Metallica and some people have yeah. heard some Slayer because they've heard Raining Blood on Guitar Hero 3. But apart from that, <laughs> like maybe there's some Megadeth, Anthrax. I don't know much Anthrax. In fact, I don't think I could name an Anthrax song off the top of my head, which is really bad because they're actually a really good band. But somehow the guitarist appears on all of the music documentaries that I watch. Scott Ian, don't understand it. Anyway, you won't understand any of what I talked about, but but yeah, I enjoyed but it. So that's will. the main thing. Someone yeah, people, will, and that's the whole point. Listening will enjoy. Uh, what you were saying about writing music. One thing that my brain is really bad at computing yeah. is different facets of music at the same time my singing lessons i can yeah. i can do a ballad in my sleep yep. but i have to really focus when i'm harmonizing yeah. and i am blown away by real like writers who can write five, 10, 15 instruments doing different shit at the same time. And I'm just, my brain can't comprehend it. And it was interesting. It's just a fun little detail, but you know, Six the Musical took I the world by actually. storm. No. So basically I was in Edinburgh the year that it first came out a couple of years ago. And it's it's a musical about Henry VIII's wives and it's called Six. Rad. And it's got a kind of gig um, atmosphere to yeah, it yeah, yeah. and it's so good i fell in love with it everyone i was in edinburgh with massively fangirled over it then they got a london transfer which is like the success story of doing edinburgh that's the goal is that you get transferred to a theater permanently yeah, yeah, but yeah. it has exploded it's doing well before lockdown it was doing tours it was in the west end it was it was exploding they had three or four casts because it was that popular and um, the final number is called Six. Yeah. And it's their kind of, it's all six of them singing at once. And there's a key change in it that just always made me like in my gut go, oh, you know when music Ugh. does that? Yeah. That kind yeah. of like, mm, my solar That's, plexus. That is what those are it. for, by the way. Pardon? It's, you know, invoking that in someone is exactly what that was for. Yeah. That's the goal. And I was trying to work out what it was. I was like, it's the key change, but it was something else. And I just, and 
my boyfriend is obviously um, very good musically id. He's he's so good at hearing things. And I was there going, oh my God, what is it? What is it that kicks in and just makes it? And he just went, a trumpet, Amber. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was just that they had this section where when they kind of go, but now we're one of a kind and it goes up a key and to the relative major, I believe. And then you just relative hear the- <laughs> and then you just hear these trumpets do these big sustained notes and those sustained notes just like vibrate in me in like a deep place Sounds i just filthy. thought i love it <laughs> i know right i just thought it was like the actor musical theater fangirl contribution to the conversation Ascending. we were having about trying to make things add up and Man. create that it's uh, I've uh, actually there's there's a, an important thing is that because me and Nath have been writing like this, it's meant that I've had a bigger role in um, orchestrating a lot of stuff uh, because Nath Nath is this amazing guitarist, right? And he does everything by feel, and uh, he he's great at he's ooh, I mean <laughs> from what his girlfriend says that's warranted, but um and from what I can say, ooh, what a man. Um. Anyway, Nay. anyway, you know, I'm just saying. There's rumours. All the rumours are true. He, he's grade eight, classically trained, uh, which yeah. people don't often expect because he no. is really like a blues-based kind of guitar player. Does everything kind and of it's by hard. feel in That's the way. Easy. It's not easy, and and a lot of people genuinely cannot do it. I know a lot of guitarists who um kind of the kind of bedroom shredders type guys who learn so much stuff except some of the basic stuff about how to uh, really feel what you're playing and how to play with other musicians and, and take the best from them and react to them. And uh, it's it's a real skill. And Nath has got that skill down to a T. But it, it's meant this interesting kind of dichotomy because he's a bit resistant to bringing too much theory stuff into his playing because he had so many teachers of classical guitar and teachers at university where he studied music um, where they were so rigid in their ideas about uh, musical theory. So he's he's reluctant to bring it on. Whereas I'm not like that. I just like, I want to learn everything. I want to chuck it all in. And then I'll do something yeah, clever like and not tell you, which is what I do with Naif sometimes. Um, it's funny you should bring up this kind of topic now because... Um, at the risk of being too depressing, yesterday I realised I am the age of a music teacher who I used to adore yeah. who actually died. Yeah. So he was 27 when I was maybe 16, 17, oh, right. and he would teach me piano, and he is still to this day the most impressive musician I've ever known in my life. And even though his technical abilities were second to none, he and I didn't necessarily spend that much class time on technical abilities. Mm. It was on actually, because, you know, when you're doing like your grade three piano exam, yeah, it's yeah. like, do, 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 yep. do, 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 and all that shit. But like, he was there teaching me how to like love playing it mm. and how to, and even if it wasn't necessarily written in to make something fade, he would do it anyway. And he had just this incredible passion. But also, so we got on like a house on fire. I had such a teenage crush on him. Aww. He showed up at every class with like five cheese-based puns. Like like every, we would just sit down and he was he was like six foot seven. I'm really not joking. Boom. And I've yeah. never been more than five foot two. No. And he used to sit on, we'd go into the music room and I'd sit at the piano and he'd sit on this chair that was in there that happened to be an office chair. And he would every class look at me, pull a lever and wait while the chair lowered. <laughs> it was like, let me just get down to your level. And um, let me just get down to your level. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think when I was maybe 21, 22, he died. Um, I don't know all the details. I think he had a he had a lung collapse issue in his sleep or something like that. But it was so sudden and out of nowhere. So um, yeah, the other day I realized, oh my gosh, I'm I'm the age he was at mm. when I was looking up to him as this amazing music teacher. Yeah, course, yeah. And it was just kind of heartwarming because my main day job now is being a drama and dance teacher Aww. to a lot of a exactly. lot of like young kids it comes and I'm like, full oh circle. God, the circle exactly from the day we arrive on this planet and blinking step into the sun oh oh look at you being poetic aren't you cute there's more to be seen than can ever be seen more, more to, to do, do than, than can, can ever be done, done. Oh, i was referencing the circle of life that, that yes was, that the was circle of life. Was... i know it well did, did, i know it very well did, did you get that straight away or did you did you wait until i get the second line and there was because uh, because i saw recognition on your face just as that happened and then i felt really I thought... bad now i feel awful for calling you out on it i know you, honestly i misheard you and i thought you said we were a mere blink in the sun so oh, i okay. thought you'd done oh, your own yeah. version of it and yeah. i was like oh good for you like a all, kid who's done a drawing all we are is <laughs> dust in the wind dude i had a funny um musical theater moment last week oh yeah where i put on i let apple pick my music while i was driving to Obviously. teach and I, okay, I lately am very sad at the loss of the theatre world. Of it's a are. bit of an emotional soft spot right now. So I, this day made me realise how emotional I am over it. So I put on Apple Music and it's created like a theatre playlist. And it's starting off with like Liza Minnelli, quite like sassy female stuff. And I'm like, oh, loving life. So I'm driving to work and then it starts playing a song from Ordinary Days called yeah. I'll Be There, which you won't know, but a lot of other people do. Aww. And it is a heartbreaking song. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. It's this woman telling a story about the man that she met and it's really beautiful and, and very like, very like down to earth love. It's about hot chocolate and days in and, and like dropping your shopping bags and things like that and it's i love all that shit right and then it i I don't care that it's a trope by the way i i fucking i lean into that shit look it works so the song leads to talking about his death and i'm driving to work and next thing you know i am just crying behind the wheel in the car like and then and then my sadistic apple music decided to play lame is i was like i have to go to work what are you doing oh my god and then I, and then luckily, luckily, in like the 10 minutes before I got to work, it lightened the mood again and was putting on like Avenue mm. Q and the kind of oh, comedy yeah, yeah. stuff. So the I got there like, that was, that was such an emotional journey. Oh. I was having a chat with my boyfriend about how, uh, the point I was trying to make to him is that I wouldn't say that musical theatre is one genre. No, it's, it's not. A, it's no, a it's way not. of doing things, but you can have comedy musical theatre and yeah. romantic musical theatre and, and drama more, musical theatre. You know, more than that, you can have rock musical theatre and you can have hip-hop <laughs> musical theatre. Yeah, you, you can, can have, have jukebox blah, blah, blah. musicals. Yeah. So I was making that point and I said off the cuff, I think, because he hasn't seen that many, I was like, I think Chicago is a really good film. And he went, okay, I'll watch that then. And I was like, oh my God, really? And I put on yeah. the DVD... And I spent the whole film trying not to sing along, not to say anything, just staring at him, hoping he's enjoying it. And after the cell block tango, he just went, well, clearly that's the moneymaker. Well, Chicago really taps into that kind of uh, 1920s jazz thing in a way that nothing else quite 
uh, does. And what you might know, not know about uh, Chicago is that, in fact, when it came out, it was a flop and no one liked it. And it wasn't until it had a big resurgence that uh, it had a huge success. And um, I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote Chicago, but he also did Cabaret, didn't he? Is that what my is know. that my brain? I'm pretty what, sure. Cabaret, so, I don't think yeah. so. Oh, maybe they're too similar. Yeah, I'm pretty know. sure he I wrote both of them. That's what I think. Yeah, you I don't can't, know. We can't sing that either. Also, Cabaret uh, came out in. Oh no! To be fair, Chicago came out a while ago. I don't I'm know. I'm gonna Google it. Google I'm gonna it. cheeky Google. Um, Google it while I give an unpopular. What's your favourite song from Chicago? Oh, I hate it when people ask me these kinds of questions. They stress me out. Um, I do, I do, uh, um, I do love that the the tango. Um, the cell block tango is amazing. Whipshits. I also, I think it's amazing, and I think it's so poetic that there is only one woman who is actually truly innocent out of all of them. And I know, and yeah. she, oh, I know. And no her, spoilers. Never hear her story because it's not in English. But the way she goes, not guilty, and she's got the white. So yeah. here's my unpopular opinion about Chicago. Yeah, I think unpopular that, opinion. I think that because oh, by the way, I, yes, they were written by the same guy, John Kander. Okay, thank you. He's I was composer. wrong. You were right. Very good. I'm I think that right. because I saw because I saw the film first, yeah, I expected a lot more spectacle from the show. I was really disappointed that when I saw it live, the cell block tango was literally five girls in black mm. lacy dresses yeah. with a chair each. And someone tried to make the argument to me, yeah, but the stage show is gritty. I was like, I don't think it's gritty. Cabaret is gritty. Mm. Yes. If you're going to do gritty, do it. But I don't think the stage show is that. I think it's mm. quite glamorous, but with no spectacle. Like, can you... My introduction to Chicago was Queen Latifah yeah. playing yeah. Mama Morden and she yeah. had this huge, beautiful feather fan yeah. singing yeah. When You're Good to Mama. And then you go see it live and the woman who... I've seen it more than once live, yeah. by the way. The woman who sings it stands on one square yeah, of land this is and exactly, never moves. I remember because I've seen it. I've seen it myself. And uh, you really get the big lesbian vibe the kind of slightly well not not even slightly the predatory lesbian vibe off of uh queen latifah doing it there's so much sex that she puts oh, yeah. into into her performance of that um Ain't of you that number. um uh, uh they say that life is that the lyrics are so good to that song as well i deserve a lot of tap well, for what i gotta to give oh I yeah love oh, it's it. brilliant um but weirdly, you know the song class that got cut out of it out of the film i have the- heard that and I can't, I can't remember it on the top of my head. But but that's because I have so many f- strong memories of that film. To be honest, yeah, um, it's brilliant. But when you see it live, somehow, yeah, because it's not it's not got that same glitz and glamour live. You're not. It's not evoking. Um, it's not evoking the same thing. Weirdly, lyrically, quite underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. weirdly lyrically, actually, the specific things that um, she said stood out more and you thought about what she was saying but with Queen Latifah you didn't need to think about it it was so obvious yeah. and also oh my god how amazing is Queen Latifah in that by the way Queen I wasn't Latifah expecting that. in everything she does oh including I love Taxi her. which I thought was really good mate I think we're just the right age yeah for when it came out I loved Taxi yeah even though it was like incredibly poorly reviewed I thought it was great I, I had, mean uh, like it's it Jimmy, trash, but Jimmy, that's okay Jimmy Fallon <laughs> one of them didn't he kick a door open and it slammed back in his face? That's amazing. 
that's so funny. Is that was that a um, blooper? She... Oh my god, what's your favorite? No, it's in the film. film. I'm Go. pretty sure it's in the film. My oh, okay. favorite film blooper. Oh yeah. fuck! Are oh, all of the ones from Rush Hour Two? <laughs> Man, he ain't gonna be in Rush Hour. He ain't gonna be in Rush Hour Three. <laughs> all of those bloopers. I love the. We didn't even need to say. Like we knew exactly which one it was. Oh my we god. We love to see that. We love to see that, Jackie. His name is Lee. God damn it. I love that. We love to see that, Lee. Gefilte the fish. What's the name of this fish? Gefilte <laughs> <laughs> fish. What? I love Russia. I need to. I've I been love, meaning to. I love that Rush he calls him Jackie all the fucking time. I know. And when they oh. fuck with Jackie Chan, being like, um, uh, like, uh, you know, get, trick him into saying this because his English isn't that great, and trick him into saying yeah. different things, or um, oh my god, all of Jackie Chan's uh stunt bloopers because it's crazy the one where he smacks his chin on that grating in the in the casino nuts we've gone on a tangent let me hear your pet peeve here's the thing when we released our first demo we put up a song on youtube and someone literally my a friend of my brother's who is genuinely a fan of the band said i'm not gonna buy your cd and he downloaded our stuff off of YouTube onto his phone. Now, I put it up on YouTube because I wanted people to listen to it for free. That's why I did it. But there's something just weird about that. And he was like, I'm not going to pay for a CD. I was like, I, at the time I was like 18. Mm. And, and it was like, you know, thanks for that. That's going to put petrol in the van, isn't it? You know, don't even bother yeah. to buy the CD at all. He's just going to steal the one song that was on YouTube for it. Charming. that's such a dick move <clears throat> but if it helps if it makes you feel happier yeah. i can tell you like an opposite story okay about a musician that i i love him i love his band i think he's a fantastic musician and he has now written an award-winning musical his name's felix hagan he's a I te- legend I, I tell you what if, if it's gonna you know there's nothing that makes me feel happier than hearing about other people's success in spite of my no, own <laughs> it's not about i'm not it's not just about his success that was my me point- joking please tell me sorry i'm genuinely interested there was a point where he was doing house gigs for free yeah, yeah. and he would do it by area. So I asked for one. He said, yes, we used my mom and dad's house just because it's way bigger because I live in a flat. Boom. And um, annoyingly, I'm so bummed about this. He could only make it on like a Wednesday. Yeah. And it's such a shame because if he had given me a Saturday, I would have filled that house up yeah. and he would have made some good money. But you know. He did all right for a Wednesday. So he came over to my parents' house. He played a set. And I'd openly said to all my friends, this guy is doing it for free, but he's definitely going to have a pot. Let's try and support him. Boom. Because, you know, he's he's trying to make a living like anyone else. So he came over, he did his thing, and then we were all there buying CDs off him Aww. at my mom and dad's Aww. house and buying our own copies. None of this... I'll have one and then you can add it. My dad bought every, Sav Sava strikes again, bought every CD he had with him. He bought like three albums off him and it was just such a wholesome, beautiful evening. And I got to have one of my favorite musicians sit in my mom's living room and play music. It was great. Do you want to hear one of my pet peeves? Yeah, you go for it. In in my career. Um, One of my pet peeves is people who try and you know what you're doing to play mind games in an audition fuck all of you <laughs> oh like like before oh, you go in oh oh good luck good luck oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you have no idea okay i'm not gonna say i have this no idea <laughs> i'm not gonna say this person's name but i remember running into the same person a lot at drama school oh, auditions I, I bet yeah because it's all and the same he... circles isn't it 
Yeah, and we would be in, I remember the, the first impression I got of him, a load of us in a waiting room at a very big drama school. I can't remember which one. I'm tempted to say maybe Lambda, one of the really big ones. Yeah. And we all get given this little room to go into and wait, and then we get called three at a time, things like that. And that is a very high-pressure, emotional day for a lot of young actors who have been dreaming of this for ages. And he is sat there going, so how many Shakespeare plays have you been in to people? And I'm trying to sit in the corner. I'm trying to make it clear that I kind of want my space right now. I want to look through my lines. I want my music in my ears. And he was like, so how many Shakespeare plays have you been in? And he was just such a, he was such a performer, but not in a good way. He was a showboater, like Uh... you wouldn't believe. And then he, and I saw him at like two other auditions that year. We're outside the room and he's putting on like jazz shoes for a straight acting course, just saying, and like jumping in front of me, like, yeah, before he goes in. I could understand that if that was isolated. Some people like to get yourself hyped before you go in, but it was the fact that it was combined with all these other things. It was so showboaty. I then saw him at another audition and he was telling everyone about which schools he'd already been accepted into. So like if he gets into this school, he'd have to pick between this one and some other ones, which is just so fucking inconsiderate. He just was, the ego was insane. And then... He ended up, we added each other on Facebook at some point, and then he ended up openly, like, on my wall on Facebook saying, like, um, hey, have you heard from GSA yet? And I was like, can you not publicly put on my wall? Because the fact is I got waitlisted for that particular school on that particular year, and it was really invasive to have him publicly poking at it. Yeah, it And, yeah. yeah. And he took it to a massive extreme, but it is very common to be in auditions and you get someone saying things like, um, yeah, I've just come off this this tour. And look, th- you know the difference between someone who's having a genuine, kind conversation with yeah, you yeah. and someone who is trying to make you feel like shit. And I went to like an open audition uh, for six, actually. And the first round was very dance heavy and you had nasty dancer girls like walking in front of you in cues, stretching in front of you, putting their ass in your face, like all of the showboating to make the people around you feel intimidated. I don't think there's any space for it and I don't think it's necessary. Also, last thing I'll say on this topic, it will backfire. Yeah, I know. I know for a fact, the head of my course at the drama school I happen to go to, I'm not going to say her name, Hmm. but she still works in drama school. She still leads courses in different venues. She asks receptionists and volunteers who was being horrible in the waiting room. She will not give them a a part, a place at her, in her course, if someone is rude in the waiting room. So grow the fuck up, stop doing it. There's no room for it. That's how I feel. Boom. (laughs) and with that you've been listening to riffs and scripts he's carl bryant she's amber together we are on riffs and scripts legend um we'll speak to you soon have a good one guys ttfn hey folks hope you've enjoyed this episode of riffs and scripts if you have any questions for us submit them at riffs and scripts at gmail.com and we will answer your questions in the last episode of this series Lots I'm just going to clean my voice so yeah. we can edit it. One sec. That's right. <coughs> You're not going to edit bah. that out, are you? No, I'm not. Nah, <laughs> he man. Okay, I'm back.